0: I'm so glad you've joined us here on the Clark Howard Show where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. Our websites are clark.com and clarkdeals.com and I got to tell you a funny thing that takes me back a generation in the 90s. Yeah, think about that. That was a whole different millennium ago, right, in the 90s. I was talking constantly about the value of putting money in Series I savings bonds. And they were an incredible thing to own then. Because they paid you a base rate of interest and the I stood for inflation. So you got the interest automatically just for breathing. And then on top of it, you got an additional Interest payment every six months for inflation. You didn't get the money that was just embedded in the value of the Series I savings bond. And really, we were in an era then where the inflation ones were the deal. The others that were the regular old savings bonds, Series EEs, not a deal at all. And you're allowed to buy 10,000 of these each year now. You used to be able to buy much more. But for a smaller saver, They're now a deal again. I thought thought that was so funny. You know what Barron's Magazine is? It's the investment newspaper that comes out once a week that's for generally very, very wealthy people. So I was stunned to see that savings bonds are being recommended for small savers. I mean, why? Why they would? Their readership doesn't care at all. I care, but their readership doesn't care because this is of great value to you. That what you can earn right now on a savings bond is much better than what you can earn on a CD. In fact, right now, the rate that the EE type bonds are earning is three and a half percent, approximately, which is. Really great. <laughs> it's really, really good. And if you keep one for a period of time, you end up being guaranteed doubling your money. You want to read the briefing at savingsbonds.gov, which is not the actual real address, but it goes there. And the I-bonds, I remember they used to pay a, a base rate of like 3% and things in that territory now they pay a base rate of 0.20 percent plus the rate of inflation so nothing like the deal they used to be but right now that's getting you about 2.22 percent on something you can buy for like very small amounts of money and keep them for up to 30 years who knows what conditions will be like in 2050 but right now it's a good place to stash cash potentially and of all places that's the kind of thing you'd expect to see in a local news source or newspaper or usa today not Barron's magazine (laughs) john joins us on the clark howard show hi john
1: clark what an honor it is to speak with you sir twice in one week wow really i respect your opinion so highly yes so uh you helped me with an automobile question regarding children, and now I have an automobile question for myself.
0: Well, let's see if I can please? be helpful.
1: Absolutely. So I'm in the market for a new automobile, uh, new to me. Uh, I'm not a go-buy, a uh, new car-off-the-lot type individual. I prefer that's pre-owned. I've got my eyes on a Ford Fusion uh, I've heard great things about them, uh, both from media and speaking with individuals. I'd like your opinion on that automobile, if you have one, number one. And secondly, I'd like your thoughts on that car because it has been discontinued from the manufacturing process. Ford is no longer making that. Right. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on, on how that might impact me, you know, long term. Parts, ownership, things of that nature.
0: All right, well, let's deal with that part. Um, As far as parts availability, it's not like somebody like Peugeot picking up and leaving the United States, and it's like scrounging for parts at junkyards. There is such a large inventory of fusions that were built over many, many years, more than a decade, that and the parts business is more profitable than the actual manufacturing of cars, okay. that I have no doubt that Ford will continue for many years to come to have an adequate supply of parts for vehicles that have been discontinued. In addition, the aftermarket for car parts, because there's enough inventory out there of Ford Fusions, will continue to well supply the parts for it. Okay, um, but But buying a, what's known as an orphan car when you buy a a car that has been discontinued, your cycle of ownership needs to be a longer cycle of ownership. Sure. And so this Fusion you'd buy, you'd intend to own how long?
1: I'm a buy-and-hold guy, Clark. Uh, Then you're perfect. I've got a Chevrolet now, and I've had it for probably 10-plus years. Great. I could easily foresee, you know, having this vehicle for eight to ten years uh, easily
0: then the fact that it's a discontinued model for that length of period will have no meaningful effect at all on what the value of it would be eight to ten years down the road it'd be different if you were saying you wanted to own one for a couple of years but eight to ten years it will be meaningless that it's a discontinued model
1: Okay.
0: Now, something right. else about the Fusion, what model year Fusion are you interested in?
1: Great question. Um, financially, I'm, I'm looking, you know, at probably uh, 2016 to 17, something like that.
0: All right, so while we've been chatting, producer Joel pulled up the record of reliability on the Fusion, okay. and based on what Consumer Reports has found, the 17s and 18s you should avoid the 16s and earlier's have much better records of reliability than the 17s and 18s. Interesting. Okay. Thank you, Joel. Yeah. How about that? I mean, we thank are we are real time researchers here.
1: <laughs> Push a button. Yeah. Well, so, thank you very much for your guidance. Uh, so you wouldn't hesitate owning this vehicle, say a 16 model.
0: No, I mean, you know, as long as you have it checked out by a mechanic of your choosing. Sure, and that's such a key step with used vehicles that most people ignore. But if you do that, you're going to eliminate a lot of the unknowns, like uh, whether the vehicle's been in a wreck that wasn't disclosed, whether it's been a flood car. So having it checked out, the mechanic's going to find any serious flaws. They may miss more minor ones, and they'll be able to tell you the flood aspect, and that will give you peace of mind buying it and sounds like it's going to be a great purchase buying a car used and keeping it as long as a decade that is a sweet spot becky's with us on the clark howard show hello becky how you doing very well how are you clark great thank you becky how can i be of service to you
2: Well, I am in the process of purchasing a new home. It's a little bit more expensive than the initial home that I'm in. And my family has some concerns, as do I, on if something should happen to me, not death, because that would be covered by life insurance, but if I become debilitated and encounter an injury and can't make my payments, what happens to my home? And I was told that there is a mortgage protection insurance available, but I talked to my insurance company, and they said that that's not typically done anymore so i was wondering what your thoughts are and if that's because that's
0: because i'll keep this clean and i won't use the word they usually use in the <laughs> industry but it's junk insurance okay so let me tell you the the background in the industry they refer to this stuff as croak and choke so croak and choke croak being the if you die choke being you're disabled and so they derisively talk about it behind our backs because it's an intensely profitable insurance product like the Mortgage Life. There's, uh, there used to be a blended product, Mortgage Life and Disability. But the thing is, is that what's more important, and you said it right yourself, you said, well, I don't need Mortgage Life Insurance because I have... Life insurance? Exactly. It's your insurance that you name a beneficiary for, and that beneficiary can then use the money as they wish, as would be the most appropriate, which may not be paying off a mortgage. But the big thing is that the mortgage life insurance that's peddled so heavily costs roughly 10 times what a individually purchased life insurance policy would cost.
2: But the life insurance is only
0: good if I croak. Right, so, so let's deal with choke. <laughs> so with choke, you should have more concerns than if if you became disabled and you were unable to work than just what's going to happen with your mortgage because there are so many bills of life that continue to go on if you're not able to work. And that's why having your own disability insurance policy or a disability insurance policy through where you work is fantastic to have and it's something almost nobody buys but is a very valuable piece because during someone's working lifetime they're three times more likely to become disabled than to die right but people will even though not enough people buy life insurance almost nobody buys disability so
2: I do have short and long-term disability through my work
0: then then you're good Okay, You're good. And uh, how, how much would you say you're a lifer with where you're working? Um, I think it's for 300 No, no, I mean, how? <laughs> I guess I didn't Sorry. phrase that in English. So are, how likely are you to stay at this place of employment for the rest of your working career?
2: I'd say it's highly likely, but in the field that I'm in, it's also common that people do move from company to company.
0: So if your health is really solid, I think it would be worth it, you getting a, quote, owning your own disability policy okay, rather than one through your employer. Because if you own one through an employer and you switch employers, let's say you're not in health at that time to get a disability policy, owning your own becomes portable just like having your own life insurance policy.
2: Is adding a term life insurance beneficial for me as well? I mean, I'm almost 50, so...
0: Yeah, so I love term life insurance and having that to provide for the remaining cycle of your working lifetime, depending on your family circumstances. Like, do you have minor children? No, I'm single. Okay, so the purpose of having that insurance is principally to provide for survivors that depend on you for income. If you don't have anyone that depends on you for income, There's likely not a big reason for you to have more life insurance, but the disability that you would own would be very valuable. Okay. Okay. Very good. Very good. Thank you so much. All right. Have a great day. You too. Josh is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Josh.
3: Hey, Clark. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Absolutely, Josh. You are doing a great job saving money.
3: Yeah. I know. I've thankful that I grew up uh, with my grandparents forcing me to listen to you, and (laughs) so, um, yeah, praise the Lord for... Is that grandchild
0: abuse that you were forced to listen to me as a kid?
3: Exactly, yes. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I am in a good situation. Um, My wife and I have been saving for a while, and we um, also got a, a really nice tax return, and so we have enough money to, well, we had been kind of saving for a kitchen remodel but also on on our horizon was a new truck for me. I'm driving a you know a ninety eight old truck, but I still love my truck, so it's not like I'm trying to get rid of it. I'm just wondering, you know, what is the what's the wisest thing to do? Should I do a, should we go into a kitchen remodel where I can do most of the the work myself or should I look at, you know, getting a newer truck.
0: Yeah, do the kitchen remodel. Because let's say you take that savings you have And instead of borrowing money to do the kitchen remodel, you just take that savings, do the work yourself, redo the kitchen, get it to like you love, and then your truck suddenly croaks. You know, it's given you 20 years of loyal service, and now it decides it's dead. Okay. If you had to borrow money for a while to buy a new vehicle or a new-to-you used vehicle, interest rates on vehicle loans are generally pretty reasonable and so that could be your backup where borrowing money on like a home equity line or something like that to the kitchen remodel even though that would be deductible interest the odds are you're not going to be carrying enough interest maybe to go beyond the standard deduction anyway so I don't even worry about the deductibility but ironically enough if your credit score is really good, often the home equity line will carry a higher variable rate of interest than the fixed-rate loan you can get on a new vehicle, or a new-to-you, relatively new used vehicle. Okay. So I'm
3: sure, I'm sure my wife will like that better, so um, that's good.
0: Well, so you're telling me your wife was right all along anyway.
3: Right. I don't even know why I needed to ask, but... Um, you have you have time for one more
0: question? If it's fast,
3: okay. Um, so, because of our the, the large uh, tax return, we adjusted our withholdings. I'm just wondering, you know, with an extra four hundred dollars a month, I mean, do I do we do retirement or do we pay down on home or do we just enjoy life well, a little more?
0: Oh man, you put me with that <laughs> guilt equation. Enjoy life. So, I would like for you to consider taking 90% of that $400 that's now free and clear and put it into a Roth IRA. Okay. And then take a very small amount each month and just do something fun with it.
3: Okay. Awesome. Well, hey, I appreciate your help. Because,
0: you know, you gave me that impossible thing, Josh. So should I save responsibly for my future or should I just have fun? How am I supposed to answer that? A little bit of fun, a lot of savings. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our main website. Clarkdeals.com is where we post bargains for you around the clock. And we have the free Clark Deals newsletter that comes out every day if you are a true bargain hunter. So I got a dresser for my son at Ikea many years ago when he was very small, and the dresser was like twice his height, and they were running a special. Ikea was experimenting with delivering furniture that they built instead of you having to build it. I don't know if they have anything like that anymore, but it was really a deal, and so we were getting a whole room of furniture for him. And I didn't have to put together anything. And so they show up with the stuff, like a regular furniture store already built, and they bring in his dresser, and they said, where would you like And I said, let's see if it fits here, and it did in this kind of alcove walking into his room. And then they start drilling in the wall, and I'm like, what are you doing? And they said, well, we're not allowed to deliver This type of furniture, unless it's bolted to the wall. And I'm like, why? And they said, well, kids will jump up on it and it falls over on them. Well, listen to this stat that I saw in USA Today. The number of people injured each year from furniture tip overs 28,000. And a lot of them, more than half apparently, are kids. And kids die. From TVs falling on them, um, from furniture falling on them, that kind of thing, and so IKEA has done yet another recall for stuff that could tip over on a child. And it's not just them. I mean they've they've recalled over the last few years eighteen million dressers, eighteen million that by their design apparently, are dangerous for a kid unless they're bolted to the wall. Now what they want you to do is they want you to get a free bolt kit from them and bolt that thing to the wall. So uh, it was very rare what happened with me that they built that furniture for me. Since then, they haven't had that that I've seen and I've had the displeasure of building several Ikea pieces of furniture, but I wouldn't have known to bolt it against the wall but if you have furniture in your house that is the kind of thing that a kid is going to climb up on know the danger of it tipping over if you have a tv on a stand instead of mounted to the wall there's a danger of that tv falling over and injuring or killing a child i mean you think about the tvs today The big screen TVs are so light, but not if they fall over on a kid. I mean, they may be light to us, caring, but think about that weight falling on your child. So if you have dressers in your home and kids, bad combination if you don't have them bolted to the wall, Ikea or whoever else, look at doing that because it could be um, a matter of life and death or injury. your child dylan's with us on the clark howard show hello dylan hello how's it going going pretty good how about yourself great thank you you want to talk about your mom
4: yeah um so unfortunately my grandfather just passed a few weeks ago
0: well i'm sorry about your and your mom's loss
4: oh thank you appreciate it um and so he had about a hundred thousand left over And my mom's idea for that was to just put it into, like, a vacation fund uh, for our whole family to use for the next, you know, 10, 20 years. And I was just wondering where she should put it or what you recommend doing with that money. So
0: the only purpose is granddad would have wanted all of you to do things together, go have fun together, go on vacations, and your mom wants to do that as best she can would call for a dual strategy, and what I would like for her to look at is going into a a fund that would both hopefully outgrow inflation and would preserve the money as best as possible, even as the market goes up and down. Yep. So when you're looking at money that you want to stretch over 10 to 20 years, you don't want to just put it straight into savings because you're not going to earn anything on it Mm
4: -hmm.
0: so what i think i would do is take what would cover the vacations for the next few years Mm -hmm. and put it into savings let's say five years worth of vacations goes into savings and the rest of it i would put in a balanced mutual fund
4: okay
0: where it's in a mix of stocks and bonds are you familiar with the term balanced fund I am not. Usually what it is is it's 60% stocks, 40% bonds, okay. and it's a lower risk kind of thing than going into something that's all stocks.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so I'm going to throw out another term for you. I'd like it to be in a balanced index fund. Okay. And is if you go...
4: That you recommend?
0: Uh, yeah, I'd like for you to look at one with one of the low-cost companies... Vanguard, Fidelity would be the two I would go to first, or or Schwab. Okay. And Balanced Index Fund, again, for the money that would go past five years from now. Awesome. And the money up to five years just in an online savings account.
4: Sounds like a plan. Thank you, Clark, for all All that you do. I listen to you every day.
0: Well, thank you, and again, I'm sorry about the loss of your granddad.
4: Oh, thank
0: you. Have a good one. You too. And Michael, you are up right now. And Michael, you just graduated college. Mm -hmm, That's correct, yes. Let's see how I can be of service to you.
4: Okay, well, I just, you know, I recently graduated and I got my first real job that I think is going to branch off into a career. You know, I don't have any student loans. I don't have any debt. I don't have any car payments or anything like that. And I was wondering, um, you know, I start work in about two weeks, so I thought I would just call and get some advice about, you know, how I should be managing my first few paychecks, how I would go apply for credit with no credit history, of course, and what you think, just any general pointers that you can give me to, to save me um,
0: some stress and
4: some headache in the years going forward.
0: You got a, you got a lot on your plate, don't you? Mm -hmm. All right, so let's take each part, uh, and I'll have to give summaries because we don't have enough time to go through every aspect of what you asked me, but first thing, when you go for um, new employee orientation or you meet with the HR people or whatever it is, depending on the size of the company, uh, how big a company is it? I would
4: say it's pretty large.
0: So if it's It's a large large organization, you will be offered... Likely a 401k plan, and
4: yeah, and I I looked and it said they have uh, up to six percent matching.
0: Yeah, so that that you got to do, you got to put in. So you pick up every dollar of match from your employer. And if you've been used to living on very little money, and you're suddenly going to have a nice check coming in every couple of weeks, I want you to go all in on it and do save ten percent of your pay from the first paycheck. And pick up all the employer match that 6% on top. Because uh, if you're able to save what would be uh, effectively 16% of your pay, that's going to be very valuable to you starting to save in your 30s, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you've got to make up for last decade. And that's why I'd like you to start from the very beginning where the check you're used to is one where already 10% of your pay has been taken away. Mm-hmm. And if your employer offers the Roth option for the 401k, that's what I want you to do, not what's known as the traditional. Okay. So I ask for that. On the credit card, so when you get to the employer, when you're at orientation, they if they're a large employer, they will have a credit union that either they have as their credit union or one that their employees can join. Mm-hmm. And I'd like you to join that credit union, and it'd be great if that's where you did your banking moving forward, but the credit union is really important because most of them offer a starter credit card for someone who's not had credit or offer a program where you can get your first Visa or MasterCard. Mm. And So banks don't do it, but credit unions do. And that's why the credit union is such an important part for you starting out. Okay. Now, uh, are you having a goal of owning your own home at some point? Uh, yes, yes. How soon would you like to do that? Um, I would say within the next eight to ten years. Okay. Well, that I mean, obviously you could trend line into that if you're looking a decade out. So what I would do is estimate, based on where you live, kind of what kind of price point home you would be looking at buying. Mm -hmm. And then figure out what 10% of that would be. And I want you to divide out, let's say we could say, uh, you said eight or 10 years. So let's just say 100 months. How much money would you have to save each month for 100 months to get to where you've saved 10 percent of the amount of money the house would cost you and every month i want you to put in the savings account and have it it can be you know a split deposit with your paycheck where part of it goes into your checking account the rest goes in the savings account that you're building up for the Mm -hmm. down payment on your first home
4: and i should start saving for uh, putting putting the money for that house over time after I create an emergency account and a rainy day fund?
0: Great question. I, You know, you can overthink this. The goal mm-hmm. at first is you want to be popping that money aside and be in the habit of putting that money aside. And, and occasionally you will have a rainy day, but you don't sound like the kind of person who's going to put yourself deep into debt or anything like that. I mm-hmm. mean, if you wanted to, you could... Um, Since you seem to be of a mind of really being about this, do the 10% in the 401k, figure out how much you got to put each month in there to meet the goal in 100 months to be able to do the down payment on a home, and then have another, some maybe 1% of your pay that goes every paycheck into a rainy day savings account.
4: Okay. And the last question is, you mentioned the Roth IRA. Should I be uh, putting money both in a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA? or
0: no, just no I'm talking about Roth. 401k. So there's Roth IRAs, there's traditional IRAs, and then at employers, now uh, majority of employers offer you in the 401k an option of a traditional 401k and a Roth 401k. Mm. The Roth 401k, the money's been taxed, so it all grows tax-free and you spend it tax-free down the road. And so if your employer doesn't offer a Roth 401k option, and they only offer a traditional, uh, this is adding another layer of complexity. But what I would do is I would put money into the employer plan to pick up the entire match, the full 6%, whatever you have to do to get that. Mm -hmm. And then if there's more money you'd have to save to get to 10% of your pay, that money goes in your own Roth IRA. And that would be how I would do that. I I didn't want to get too complicated with you, but I'm impressed with how you've thought this stuff through and the questions you're asking. And I can tell you're going to do really well with how you handle your finances moving forward.
5: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.
0: It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at clark.com. Then producer Joel asks it for you. Clark Jim wrote in. He said, I recently filled out an application for life insurance. The second to last question was my date of birth, 1956. I'm not dead yet, but I was quickly informed (laughs) Ah, ah, they don't ah. cover that age. Really? Yes. So a lot of life insurers don't want people... Uh, past a certain age, and each insurer sets its own criteria, Uh, and it is one of the things about getting older is that they don't want to deal with the actuarial risk of issuing a policy to you, and then you're, you're in a tighter band of life expectancy, but again, that's not all insurers, and what I recommend is use one of the quotation services we have on our life insurance quotation page at clark.com and you will be able to see companies that will in fact quote you based on your age. All right Clark and Amber wants to know why do you say that Amica insurance is number one? I would love to know what you like about them. So Amica is a co-op for insurance. Amica is kind of like a credit union for insurance, it's like Vanguard for investing. It's owned by its members. You are in a situation where you all benefit together. If they overestimate the premiums they need to collect, instead of those premiums overpayments going to stockholders, they are rebated back to the policyholders. They are only there for you. Uh, the thing that sets Amica apart. And one other company, USAA, that also operates as a version of a co-op, is that they are not in an adversarial relationship with you. A lot of insurers trying to hit a projected return on investment can be very hostile when the chips are down and you have a claim. So Amica, for as many years as I can remember, going back decades now, ranks at or near the top of auto and homeowners insurers in the United States. All right, and Greg wrote in, he said, you've recommended pedalcard.com. They asked for my bank login and password information. It seems invasive. What are your thoughts on giving that up? Yeah, it is freaky invasive what you have to do. So you have to link your accounts so they can, they use a proprietary method to analyze your activity with your accounts, your behavior with your accounts, and so you have to give up terribly invasive information. And they, with you not having any credit history potentially at all, they may still issue you a traditional credit card. And so that's why the process is kind of dawning with PETAL card, P E T A L card.com. But it is a potentially great way for someone who has no prior credit history to establish credit. It's, you know, anytime you're trying to get credit and you've never had it, the process always has a little messiness to it, and that's the messiness that comes with the pedal card. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show.